Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, conversations with today's top ministry leaders to help you lead better every day. And now podcasting from scenic Colorado Springs, Colorado, here's your host, Jason Day. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Day, and I have a great conversation for you this week. You may have seen the latest Barna report that came out. It's been all over social media about reviving evangelism. Well, this week, I'm joined by Craig Springer, the executive director of Alpha USA, which partnered with Barna on this research study. And so Craig and I discuss many of the insights that came out of the report, including stats about millennials and faith sharing. You might have heard some of those. We share some of the biggest takeaways for churches seeking to reach people who are far from God. And Craig shares some great thoughts on how your church can be most effective with faith sharing and how churches are experiencing some mighty moves of God. Now, you're going to want your entire team to listen to this episode Uh, Let's dive right in. Please join me in my conversation with Craig Springer. Craig, I want to thank you for joining us today. Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, brother. Thanks, Jason. I love being here with you. Yeah, I'm super excited um, because we get to talk about one of my all-time favorite topics, and that is sharing the good news of Jesus um, with those who do not yet know him as Lord. And and I know uh, that is what you and your team at Alpha USA are all about and uh, helping to equip the church and encourage the church to make those inroads into their communities and to really... Um, effectively share the gospel. And and I love, um, here we are in 2019, and you and your team um, partnered with Barna, and uh, you, you created this um, study and published this study called Reviving Evangelism. And uh, we'll, have, we'll have links in the show notes for those of you who are listening in, because this is one of those studies you want to read, uh, you want to dig into. And Craig, I was talking to you earlier, and I was saying it's crazy because just in the first few months of uh, 2019, since this report's been released, um, across social media, um, I see on LinkedIn, on Twitter, on Facebook, um, all kinds of things being pulled out of this research study that you guys did uh, with Barna. And people are talking about this, which I think is huge. So I guess the first question I have for you, brother, is why did you want to um, tackle you? What led you guys to tackle this this uh, kind of new research study, specifically focusing in on evangelism? Well, I think like probably most churches and, and Christian ministries now, we're recognizing that we're in a dramatic cultural shift uh, over this last decade, and and it's like the pace is increasing with every year as we're finding more and more about millennials and Gen Z and what's working and what's not uh, to pass on our faith. And as we're doing ministry in all these cities throughout the country, you're saying we we need we have a lot of anecdote. We need to collect some objective data. What are the different expectations and experiences that Christians have around evangelism, and then what are the comparable or incompatible expectations uh, or experiences about evangelism that non-Christians have had? And let's see, are they syncing up? You know, are we, as Christians, viewing evangelism and approaching evangelism in a way that is going to be effective in our modern-day culture or in, you know, the next five, ten years? So we're really asking those questions, saying we want objective information here to see what will land. And so that's some of what came out in the Reviving Evangelism study. Some of it was very surprising. Some of it was very heartbreaking. Some of it was 
of confirming some lessons I think many of us have already been living out. And that hopefully we'll, we'll talk about some of that stuff in the rest of this conversation together. Yeah, Craig. Yeah. In fact, um, when you first got the results back from the research study, uh, as you said, I, I mean, I was imagining like there were some results that you probably expected, um, other results that might have been a bit surprising. And Craig, I really, I really don't want to lead you one way or the other. I'd love to hear from you, a uh, leader of one of the most effective evangelistic organizations in the world. What stood out to you as you first, uh, you and your team first received the report and began looking through the study results? What, what really captured you? I mean, without a doubt, it's what has been one of those headlining data points that 47% of millennial Christians believe it is wrong to share their faith. But at, at first glance, and I think some people interpret that through a lens that says, oh, yes, I knew it. Those entitled millennials, you know, that they, they're not yeah. passionate about evangelism. They're, they're going the way of the world, all that. And I, I think we have to get deeper into the study to, to realize what's going on there, because the passion that millennial Christians share, uh, they believe that the best thing that could happen to anyone is that they would come to know Jesus. 94% of millennial Christians believe that. And that's just about the same percentage as Gen Xers, boomers, and elders. And so there's not a decline in passion among millennial Christians for their, their friends and family to know Jesus. But there's, there's potentially a decline in their willingness to use the evangelism methodologies that, that we, as Gen Xers or boomers or elders, have handed down to the generation. So I think the question is not commitment to Christ or commitment to evangelism, but it's methodology. Um, the other data point that feeds into that, millennial Christians have more non-Christian friends than any other preceding generation. So they're more tuned in. They're having more spiritual conversations with those non-Christian friends as well. So there's a there's sort of a fertile soil is the term that we use in the study. But we're going to have to rethink the evangelism methodology, kind of like the Apostle Paul at the uh, Athenian Areopagus, where he sort of looked at the statues and said, oh, to an unknown God, well, let me help you see. He spoke the language that the culture was able to hear. And so we have to unpack and learn what is the language that, that the culture of today is longing to hear um, the message of hope through. Yeah, I love that. I, and, I, and Craig, I love that because this— um, by far across social media has been the the kind of the hot button that came out of this study. And a lot of of what I had seen was kind of that that first topic. You know, 47% of millennials um, believe it's, it's wrong uh, to really impose your faith or share your faith with others. And I saw a lot of um, a lot of people commenting and and kind of falling into that, you know, as you kind of alluded to millennial shaming. Exactly, the whole millennial shaming thing. And so, and I, you know, I just I thought that was fascinating. But I I love the fact that you brought up that ninety four percent of them, um, you know, believe that sharing their faith is a you know vitally vitally important. And so, what we've seen and what you've shared and articulated a bit, and I'd love to dig into this more, is that. It's not that they don't have care or concern for their unbelieving friends, um, which they have many of, and it's not that they don't they somehow don't believe or have a, a passion about their own faith, but it is more probably, and this is what I've drawn out of it, and I think this is what you were kind of 
speaking to is is probably more of just the the models or what comes to mind for them when they think of quote unquote sharing your faith. You know, some right? of those, let me just point yeah, yeah, let me point this out from our study. It it, got, it went up over one hundred percent the concept that if someone disagrees with you, it means that they're judging you from millennials from uh, Gen X and boomers and elders went up over a hundred percent that millennials believe if someone disagrees with you, it means they're judging you. And it's just evidence to show that we're in so much more of a polarized culture, mm. a, a inflamed conversation of disagreement where a non-Christian may look at Christianity historically as maybe it seemed irrelevant, you know, what's good for you type thing. Nowadays it's interpreted as much more extreme and even as as part of the cultural problem in creating um, extremist viewpoints. And so millennial Christians and then following Gen Z Christians are dealing with this far more inflamed, polarized tone in our culture. And so we have to we have to do much more to disarm and to build trust and create spaces of belonging before we can ever even have the conversation. And one of the key points we found in the study, again, is the top quality that a non-Christian believes would help them consider faith and with a conversation partner is someone who listens without judgment. And the second top quality is someone who doesn't force them to draw a conclusion. The flip side of that is that the, the least impactful qualities are someone who has all the answers to their questions about faith and is good at debating topics. And so this is a major shift, mm, I think, in yeah. some of the methodological approaches and training we've done for evangelism. When I when I grew up in faith some 25 years ago, you know, it was have have a clear um, explanation. Obviously, that's biblical, but it, it, I was taught to proclaim, if I can just say it that way. As a pastor, I proclaimed on Sundays. We, we preach the truth. That's very important, but we're having to add with far more intentionality maybe than ever before is not just proclamation by itself but conversation mm. we've got the the concept of listening of training christians to become great listeners to absorb hostility to absorb questions even without giving instant or simple answers is interesting i, I did some research on jesus answering questions a great book called um jesus is the question mm -hmm. And he points out that Jesus asked 307 questions, and he only directly answered eight questions. Wow. And you think he's 40 times more likely, um, almost, you know, 30-something times more likely to ask a question than he is to give a direct answer. And that's his approach to bringing the kingdom to bear in people's lives. He's, he's, he sought listening, he sought storytelling, created space for conversation. So I think that's... The primary shift we've been learning in Alpha, but also through the study, is how do we shift from just proclamation evangelism to proclamation and conversation, where we're training churches, we're creating spaces in churches for people to go when they have questions. Right, right. Not, um, not just to hear the answers, but to actually have a conversation that allows listening to take shape over time. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's so huge. It's funny because um, I wrote an article a couple years ago um, along those same lines, uh, Jesus is the Question. And um, really, as a pastor, 
preaching, one of the things that I always was trying to um, elicit from my my the, the people I was preaching to, my congregation or wherever I was preaching, was that they would have have a question to wrestle with, right? Because that's how we that's, that's how we grow in life. You know, that's how we develop our faith. That's how, when we're wrestling with some question. Um, instead of just having those kind of just answers tossed at us. And I, I think that's what we see. I know I think of my my children, and my children actually a little younger. My, my two oldest might be considered right on the fringe of millennials, but for the most part, they're, they're um, younger than that. Um, but still, even even them, they're, they're more, more apt to engage in conversation and dialogue than to just sit and, and you know, listen and just take an answer um, because someone in quote unquote authority or someone who's older than them um, said it, you know, what I mean, there, there just seems to be there's more curiosity. It seems there's more of this kind of, you know, as you mentioned, this dialogue, this conversation that is just how the world is dealing with everything in, in general is this more of a conversation than being kind of told or just, you know, the whole uh, megaphone type of a. Of, of approach. So I, it's a, I think it's encouraging though, right? For the church. It's, it's very encouraging it, at the same time. And I'll, I'll p- hold the mirror up to myself. It's very convicting because our ministry strategies have been based solely on proclamation for the most part. Right. Our number one evangelism strategy is the Sunday weekend service. It's, mm. you know, come hear the truth proclaimed and there'll be a hand raised moment or whatever responsive moment. Right. And where do people go in our churches when they have questions and they need to talk it out about faith? They can't necessarily go into small group structures full of Christians. If they're non-Christian, they'll feel completely out of place. Uh, The Christians will try and do all the correcting and just sort of proclaim in, in a smaller setting. And so we've got to create spaces where people can come with questions, um, and experience belonging in their doubt. Uh, there's a fantastic, comic Christian Morgensterns and author he says home is not a place home is where we're understood and when we're focused on helping people understand us or our doctrine but not giving them space to process out what they're thinking we're not creating that sense of home that sense of belonging before they believe but if we can create that sense of we want to listen we want to hear your thoughts and questions we're not going to you know jam small or quick answers into your mind uh, instantly. We want to hear where you're coming from. It creates that sense of belonging. The, the, the walls come down more so. And then there's there's that sense of relationship and connection. And over time, and we, you can't proclaim the truth, absolutely. But conversation is required to eliminate sort of the, the polarized tone of our culture today. So we have to rethink our evangelism training. How much training are we giving Christians in the art of listening? Yeah, exactly. And if we were following Jesus' model of evangelism, we would be the best listeners on the planet as as Christians. And um, unfortunately, the non-Christians in the study reported that though they, they think someone who listens well is the greatest conversation partner about faith, they only know a minority of Christians who possess that quality, is, is according to what we saw in this. So I think it's a great takeaway. I know that I want to learn better. Yeah, uh, how to be a better listener. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I want to talk more about how we can create some of these, um, you know, conversational places where questions are, f- are free to be asked. Before we jump in there, and this kind of ties into what we're talking about. One of the things I found fascinating about the report, again, talking um, specifically about millennials, one was 
and this just stood out to me. Uh, I'm not really sure why, but but I loved it. Is that millennials, um, when asked what activities that that people consider part of their spirituality, millennials more so than any other group said fasting, which I thought was was an interesting interesting point because again, it just kind of to me that was surprising. But then the other thing that I thought was surprised about millennials was. This goes back to the faith sharing, which was one of the most dramatic things that, mm-hmm. that we saw. In the faith sharing, uh, 73% of millennials said, hey, I am gifted at sharing my faith with other people. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, and that was more than any other group. More than any other preceding generation. Right. So, I mean, that only compounds the the point we're making, which is to say they even feel more equipped than right. any prior generation, but less – um, willing to use the methodology that we've sort of prepared them with. Exactly. That's, that's wild, isn't it? So so we're thinking, you know, thinking of our listeners, our pastors and ministry leaders who are listening in today. What are some of the takeaways from this research that will, you know, best impact in a positive way how we reach people with the hope of Jesus? What What are some things that we can take away? Well, I think it was that one point I just made, which was, our, anything we do related to evangelism training must include the training in the art of listening mm-hmm. far more than we're speaking. You know, how many times have we had conversations with non-Christian friends? How, how could a good God allow some pain and suffering? I, I lead alpha groups all the time, and that's regularly one of the primary questions. And, and it's only through listening that you get from the head to, to the heart, to mm. the hurt beneath the surface, right. which is likely – you know, maybe their mom passed away or their brother or, or a friend or, or something that they've experienced this pain and it just hurts. And until you can, through trust and belonging, draw out where the, the true root of where questions are coming from, uh, people aren't going to have an authentic transformation in Christ. Um, the other takeaway I think that we can apply, one of the top qualities that non-Christians reported would cause them to be more interested in Christianity is if they had an eye-opening spiritual experience himself. Mm. And I, I, I looked at that and I thought, oh, I, I wish that weren't, I wish that weren't true in a sense because we're the church, right? We're supposed to be introducing people to the person of Jesus Christ, the presence of the Lord. And yet non-Christians are saying, well, if I had actually more spirituality connected to what you're talking to me about. And I, I got really honest with myself and realized, you know, I might have retranslated Romans 1.16, which says, you know, um, the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of those who believe. I might have retranslated that in some former years as the gospel is the power of my great explanation mm. for the salvation of those who believe. The, you know, the gospel is the power of my great apologetic or argument. Right. Trying essentially to introduce a doctrine, a way of thinking to a non-Christian, when what we're called to do is introduce people to the power of God, the presence of the Lord, the, the eye-opening spiritual experience of Jesus. I think what we have to do is reintroduce the sacred experience and even introduce non-Christians to prayer before they even believe in the Lord and let, and let the Lord show up and, mm. and bring people to Him. I, I've had so many experiences with... Um, I had a uh, police officer friend who 
came on our alpha group and, and we do bring people into a prayer experience as part of their exploration journey. He said, Hey, you might not even believe this stuff, but just try, just say, you know, Hey, come, come God, if you're real, show up. And so with sort of a half-hearted effort, he did, he's like, okay, whatever, if you're real, you know, come Holy Spirit. And within three minutes, he just went from this cold look on his face to just kind of quietly crying to openly weeping and kind of letting it all out. And, mm. And he said, you know, it's like this this concrete wall just shattered around my heart. I felt love pour in and peace pour in. And I love Jesus. Wow. I don't even know how that happened. I don't, and so there are some questions that explanations alone will not answer, but the experience of the presence of the Lord. And so if we only did two things, we introduced more listening and we introduced more of the experience of the Lord into our evangelism efforts, I think we would take it much further down the road. And those are really based out of kind of the findings that we discovered in this reviving evangelism study. Yeah, yeah, I love that, brother. So talk to me a little bit. Um, as, as executive director of Alpha USA, you've been involved in Alpha courses uh, across the country, and you've seen Alpha um, at work around the world. Talk to me a little bit about how is Alpha um, really inviting these these conversations and these, these dialogues that we've been talking about? Yeah. And if I can just say, I think it's Something that we've stumbled into in Alpha, I mean, I, I got involved in Alpha as a pastor in you know, a couple of large churches in the U.S. Just saying, I, I'm i struggling leading the congregation into evangelism. Mm. And I started looking around, you know, together with some, some other friends and pastors just saying, what's working in a post-Christian context? Because w- we need to learn, because that's where we're headed now. And so I, I started looking into Alpha because it became this thriving movement in downtown London, in, you know, some 30 years back, which is maybe reminiscent of where America is today or heading very right, soon. Right. This sort of global city center, secular, uh, where the church has little to maybe no influence. The, the Bible is certainly not seen as a moral authority in the culture. And it's just out of desperation, the church said, we have to open our doors and listen to people's questions. So Alpha really just creates group experiences for people who have questions. Hopefully, ideally, they have, have no background or even uh, you know, baggage towards the church and through friendship are invited to a 10-week conversation group. And it can be, it, it's small group based, but the room can be full of 50 people or 500 people or five people around tables and chairs, and it's always creating a great hospitable environment. It's a great meal. We have a, a great film series now for a short kind of 20, 25-minute talk over those 10 weeks, and that's all conversation. And, and this is the key. The hosts and helpers of those groups are trained to facilitate great conversation, not to answer questions. Mm. So the, the film series does proclaim the truth, even share some apologetic evidence, etc., but the conversation when someone brings up a tough point about faith, I don't you know, believe that Jesus was real. A host or helper would say, that's a really interesting point. Tell me, uh, tell me more of what you're thinking about that. Or does anyone else have that opinion? And just facilitates conversation. And it's interesting, the process over a 10-week period of time, um, how many people cross the line of faith. We found, Barna did a study and found that 82% of the non-Christians who complete an alpha course from start to finish end up 
developing a relationship with Jesus along the way at some point. And so it's amazing how That's listening. Crazy. I know. And the, and the process of conversation without forcing the answer, the Holy Spirit does this work in people's hearts and they're sticking with it. And they're actually building community and friendship connected to the church over this period of time. So they stick around the church. And um, so it's powerful. We just found whatever a church is doing, if it's alpha or anything, we really believe a creating a, a communal space where non-Christians can come and have conversation about faith where they're not corrected, they're not judged, mm. will move them closer to saying yes to the gospel than if um, all they're getting is sort of truth repeated over and over and correction about maybe where they're wrong. Yeah, that's and so it's good. a powerful discovery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know that, Craig, as you're, as you're sharing that, um, I was thinking back, um, uh, reflecting on my own ministry, and you know, it's interesting. I, I remember um, probably about six or seven years ago now, having conversations, doing some teaching and preaching, and and having some conversation. And, and one of the things that, that I realized was, was that some people were kind of pushing back, like saying, "Hey, we need to we need to take a stance." Almost is is kind of how they're framing it. Like we need to we need to put you know put our foot down and say this is what truth is. Um, and and they felt like uh, we were losing ground because we weren't doing that. And so I was coming at a kind of a different approach and and saying, I think we need to engage in conversation. I think we need to engage in dialogue. And so we had this, it was it was a great, great conversation around this with, with uh, you know, God honoring, Jesus loving people who are just trying to navigate this uh, world and culture in which we find ourselves, right? Yeah. And I remember yeah. one of the things that, that, that I said um, in the midst of that, and it was kind of like an aha moment across across the board there for, for everyone is, I said, I think that sometimes we think we need to do the work that really the Holy Spirit desires to do. And we somehow feel like we're the ones who need to come in and and it's our job somehow to do the Holy Spirit's work when really that isn't our job. You know, our job is to engage people. And, and that's kind of what I hear you saying that you see over these 10 weeks in Alpha is it's, it's um, hospitable, it's you know, this dialogue, these conversations, the, hey, tell me a little bit more about that. Are, are others of you thinking that way? It's being open to that and inviting the Holy Spirit the entire time to do what only the Holy Spirit can do, right? And that's the work of transformation. We can't pull that off. Yeah. And, and, and it's whenever you're creating an environment like that, man, you get to see God do some amazing, amazing things, right? Absolutely. And that is that is a key is is sort of behind the scenes. We've got people praying. I, as, a, as a pastor, leader, leading in an alpha table has been one of the more difficult things I've ever had to do because <laughs> I just want to jump in, you know, and share all the things I learned in seminary and right. this latest book I've read. But sitting there quietly and praying, Lord, you know, transform this person's heart and mind and soul. And then coming back to the table again next week and doing the same, it's it's powerful. It creates a, a dependence. And then when you see God transform someone, and it was so much more His work than our explanation, right? Um, it it just emboldens you. Yeah, there's almost a predictability around it. Like, well, then I want to get more people around the table next time, and you know, fill the seats even more because God's going to show up like this. And then that culture starts infecting the whole team and the church and um, really creating a culture of, of passionate invitation because then you're now empowering the 95% of people in the church who do not have the gift of evangelism right? and who feel like, well, I don't need to 
be an expert. I don't even need to be an extrovert. I just need to invite people to a dinner and sort of quietly pray and the conversation and the Holy Spirit. And yeah, it's, it's an incredible process. I do want to say though, um, because in our film series and some people just give live talks instead of use the film series, but we do share the, you know, orthodox basics of the Christian faith. I mean, the, the sessions are, who is Jesus? Why did he die? How can I have faith? Um, how and why should I pray? How and why should I read the Bible? And it's spoken with the audience in mind as someone who's got absolutely no experience in the church mm. and no background on any of that stuff. So, but we say, hey, we're, we're just for the next 20, 25 minutes, we're going to share what we think or what the basics of the Christian faith are around this topic. But then the next hour conversation, that's your time as a guest to share what you think. No one's going to correct you. No one's going to judge you. So it's sort of a give and a take where we're not shrinking back from sharing truth yeah. and, and introducing people to Jesus, but we're actually creating more space for people to process it and to share their thoughts. And then rather than correction, holding back, letting the spirit do the work. And then next week we'll, we'll share truth again. We'll say, this is our chance to share. And then we'll invite you to share and respond and, and share your thoughts and that's that. And it works, brother. I mean, that's what's crazy. You know, independent yeah. studies show the effectiveness of this. And and I think that's huge because we as pastors, as ministry leaders, as, as churches, we are looking for ways, um, resources that we can kind of help, you know, embrace in such a way. Um, and the, the one thing that I like about Alpha is it doesn't, it doesn't require you to really change who you are as a church because Alpha, I know, is Alpha. There's so many different um, types of churches, so many different contexts, you know, I mean, of, of churches that are using Alpha, and they're still, you know, they're still that church. I mean, they still have that church's core DNA, but what Alpha does is it kind of invites this this uh, revival of um, this evangelistic DNA, right? This DNA that's that's reaching people far from God and just kind of adds to, to what your church already is. Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, we we're focusing on introducing and equipping the church to introduce people into a relationship with Jesus and the church handles, you know, the discipleship next steps from there. Uh, but because it's happening through the local church, I don't want to drown people in stats, but we found that 76% of the people that go through alpha end up um, who, who were not participating in that local church end up participating in that local church. Wow. And, and so, because it's not sort of like, a severed arm off individually from the body, right, if you right. will, sort of waving around. It's the whole body together um, drawing people into the that local expression in the body. And organizationally, we've seen John 17 really play out. You know, Jesus saying, I pray that they may be one so that the world may know that you sent me. And because we've got, we're working with every major denomination in some cities where we're working together with, and I, I mean, you know, even Protestant and Catholic churches are running Alpha trying to introduce people to Jesus, wow. um, Baptist, Pentecostal, Presbyterian, I mean, everything in between. There be, there's a sense that the, some of the theological nuances and, uh, or issues that create division, that's probably a better way to say it, among the different expressions of faith mm -hmm. are, 
leveled out and churches are working together just to get people to introduce, to, to meet Jesus. And they're doing the alpha retreats together or they're doing sort of a campaign to market to the city about their alpha programs together. And so it's just this interesting common ground of mission to introduce people to Jesus. And I think where I've seen those efforts of unity in different cities across the country, I've seen a dramatically more palpable movement of God because mm. the churches are working together around evangelism. So it's exciting to That's see. That's beautiful. That, yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a possibility that, that some of those issues can just be leveled when we're just sharing Jesus with, with the people we love in our community. Yeah. I love that. I want to, I want to go back and touch on something that, that you mentioned real quickly and, and um, I don't want to put you in a spot, but maybe you have a story or you can just kind of flesh this out a little bit more. But you mentioned that um, that what you guys have seen is that churches who begin to um, host these alpha groups, they begin to see um, the church as a whole, you know, they, they, they see this um, spiritual growth in, in this, like, hey, we can reach people who are far from God and this sense of of excitement around that. What, what is it that you, you see kind of taking place in those churches who've like maybe hosted alpha once and then they're like, wow. And they host it again. And you know, what what does that kind of look like or, or feel like, or do you have stories around that? I'm just kind of curious as to how that kind of almost revival type, you know, flow is happening within local churches. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've seen that just in the, in the two churches where I've led and, and been deeply involved in alpha um, one here in Denver where I mean, it was a phenomenal church. It was a handoff from a amazing founding senior pastor. Um, and I think everyone would admit at, at the time that some of the impact in the community reaching those who are further from God had waned. And so we came in as kind of a, a new leadership team, Baton Pass. And one of the things that we started from the beginning was to say, well, let's, let's launch alpha and is one ingredient, but it created this nucleus of volunteers who, who became so passionate and confident that if I can just get my friend to alpha, or if I can just get my coworker to alpha, I know they're going to most likely trust in, trust in Christ because mm-hmm. the, this probability factor of right. people walking through it. And so I mean, you've probably felt that if you invite people to a church service, sometimes, depends on your church, sometimes you know, gosh, if I can just get them to church service, they're most likely going to stick or they're most likely to cross the line of faith. Sometimes it's a case, sometimes it's not the case, or sometimes you just don't know. But right. when you have this flywheel of something that's a, a, an easy invite and it works and an average person or congregation can be fired up and think, oh, I could do that. I can invite them to that dinner or that, you know, alpha conversation group, then they're going to do it again. And it changes how you live. Like I said, then the next round, next term, you're thinking, I've got to make more friends at the gym or at school because (laughs) this is incredible. It's fun. It's easy. God works. I want to fill the seats at the table. So they start living differently, living more invitationally. And then alpha comes up and you get enough people in the congregation that have that level of sort of predictable confidence in the evangelism strategy of the church, then it starts to tip the scales and it becomes truly an invitational church. Wow. Um, and that's on the evangelism side. And on the prayer side, when you're all, I mean, nothing lights up your prayer life more, I think, than praying for someone to meet Jesus and then they do right before your yeah, eyes. Yeah, yeah. 
you're just like, this stuff works. Right. I gotta, I gotta do this more. And, uh, you get that whole group of volunteers involved in praying and, and just lights a fire. I love it. I love it. I love it, brother. Such great uh, research coming out of this reviving evangelism and, and you guys are doing such great work. Uh, just as, as we kind of close down our time here, Craig, um, two things. One, I want to give you the opportunity just to share some last words of, of encouragement to pastors, uh, your colleagues, your brothers and sisters who are listening in. And then secondly, um, after that, um, I invite you to kind of give us some direction as to how we can connect with, and like I said, we'll have the Reviving Evangelism you know, links to that, to this report in the show notes, but then also if people want to learn more about Alpha USA and the ministry and those types of things. So first, what, what are some kind of just closing thoughts of encouragement uh, to your colleagues? I generally think evangelism, I love evangelism, and I want to grow evangelism in my church and, and all the churches across country. But I used to think it was a paradox that discipleship or worship or prayer are, are sort of taking energy away from evangelism. And I know that is heresy, but I used to live it out and mm. just think, no, let's get focused on evangelism. And what I found over time and with churches that are really thriving evangelistically, you'll see that there's a, there's a, a white hot fire of prayer and worship beneath that. Mm. And, it's, and it's almost like if you want your evangelistic temperature to rise as a church, you, you won't be able to carry the, the burden and the opportunity of that if your prayer and worship temperature don't rise with it. And I've found it's not a paradox, but if, if we if we want to go deeper in reaching the community, we have to go deeper in experiencing and sort of stoking the fire of prayer mm. in our own lives and in the church, while at the same time calling, you know, we're filled up to be sent out. We're filled up to be sent out. We're filled right. up to be sent out. But, but really stoking the fires of all those values together. That's um, good. Yeah. Yeah. And then just to connect with Alpha, alphausa.org, we've got everything up there. You'd ever need to launch an alpha course. We do all kinds of trainings all over the country. Um, have some incredible sort of pastors' vision trips. If you just go to alphausa.org and um, want to shoot us an email if you have more specific questions. But that's awesome. Uh, all kinds of training videos. Everything's up there. Yeah, fantastic stuff. Yeah, I encourage yeah. you guys to check it out. Um, they've they really invest a lot of energy and resources into into these these tools that they create for churches and it's there available for you so so please uh look in that craig man it's been so good talking with you again brother and i love uh, it jason yeah, thank you i as well and uh super excited about uh what god is doing in our midst and how we as as pastors and churches ministry leaders how we can um kind of really just say god how can we be faithful when it comes to the great commission right now and this time in this place there's so much bad news that that gets you know tossed out there like how can we be a part of the good news and um, i just love what you guys are doing at alpha usa i love this report and uh, just fantastic stuff brother thank you so much jason thanks so much for the time I appreciate you taking the time to be with us on this week's episode. Every week as we are putting the episodes together, we're thinking of you, our pastors and ministry leaders, and striving to provide insightful and inspiring interviews as you seek to grow as a kingdom leader. So we hope you're finding value from the Church Leaders Podcast, and if so, we'd certainly appreciate you taking a few moments to head over to iTunes and leave us a review. Your positive reviews and ratings help other church leaders more easily find our podcasts so they too can benefit from these interviews. 
Again, we thank you in advance. And if you have any comments, any questions, suggestions, or ideas for guests, I would love to hear from you. You can send me an email to podcast at churchleaders.com, or you can connect with me on Twitter. Finally, you can find this podcast as well as other great faith-based podcasts on the FaithPlay app. It's available for both Apple and Android, and so we encourage you to check that out as well. So until next time, this is Jason Day encouraging you to love well and lead well. You've been listening to the Church Leaders Podcast. For articles, videos, and free resources that will help you lead better every day, visit our website at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.